Chapter 23. The Producti magazine we stop at is full of elderly people. At the Vino Vorichni section, after standing in line of shoppers for a long time, we finally reach the checkout register. The bored sales clerk looks too young to be working the night shift. Vazia says to her, Two bottles of Moskovskaya and one that's not Moskovskaya, please. The sales clerk understands Vasya's code language. She rings up two bottles of Moskovskaya vodka and one bottle of something that looks like water in a milk bottle. It's the best samagon in town, says Vasya confidentially. What's samagon, I ask, keeping my voice low too. You'll find out soon enough. No, I won't. Homemade vodka, may I presume? It's brewed mostly in basements, whispers Vasya, from potatoes and many other things. Up to 60% of alcohol. It's pure health. Disinfects your entire body. Don't they sell whiskey here? Scotch? Suddenly, everyone in line is staring at me. It's better if we don't speak a foreign language in public places, says Vasya. Why? They have people everywhere. Who, the KGB? Finally, you're catching on. We walk out of the supermarket and along Leningrad's deserted nighttime streets and canals with me trying to keep pace with Vasya. It's freezing cold, but strangely beautiful. I can barely keep up. Hey Vasya, who doesn't work for the KGB here? Very good question, he said. My wife doesn't. What about Lev? Well, he's good too. Anatoly as well, but that's as far as I can go. What about that old babushka crossing the road? I wouldn't trust her. Can't be serious. Vasya stops abruptly and turns to look at me, astonished at my ignorance, his eyes full of sadness. Here we live like frightened animals in the zoo, my friend. Have you ever seen the faces of animals in the zoo? They look terrified, unnatural, full of apathy. And worst of all, they know they're condemned. I look around. Do you see one happy face anywhere on the street? Everyone lives wrapped up in his or her own nightmare of fears. In the zoo, each group of animals think that their cage is the best protection they've got against their neighbors and the rest of the world. They feel falsely safe in their cage. They love their cage, their prison. You understand? They'll do anything to keep their prison intact. Because through careful intimidation and brainwashing, through terror and fear-mongering, you can make anyone love his own prison and rat on his neighbors. How do you like that for a country to live in? Do you want to raise your family in a zoo? We are modern-day slaves. We live in apartments that the government has built for us. We work at jobs that the government has invented for us. We eat food that the government has provided for us. We travel only where the government allows us. We say things only that the government likes us to say. Who runs the government? The Communist Party and their Praetorian Guard, the KGB. The KGB will assassinate anyone who is critical of the government. We have no private property, no rights, no functioning constitution, no independent judiciary, no freedom of speech, and no freedom of movement. This is an empire that is based on a vertical power structure, and that structure is operational only when built on lies. So each layer of the society has to lie bigger to advance higher. You have to lie and listen to others lying all the time. Teachers lie, our historians lie, our politicians, artists, and economists lie. And finally, these lies permeate your family. They are absorbed into your DNA. 
And that's what I'm most terrified of. I don't want my son to lie. I really don't. There's something awful and humiliating in all this lying. It eats up one's soul and turns us into pitiful and bitter creatures. You become Homo Sovieticus. That's who I have around me here. That's the kind of country I'm leaving to my son. Utterly disappointed in myself and in my generation. It's a generation of brainwashed, frightened people, and I'm one of them. Well, you're not, said Vasya, holding his arm and walking along with him through the silence on that deserted street. We pass an apartment building where a gigantic poster has been plastered on the corner brick wall portraying Marx, Lenin, and Gorbachev together. Vasya pauses. See those three, he says. They're the directors of our zoo. Every time I pass by this poster, I feel like burning that building down. You should lower your voice, I tell him. Someone might hear you. See? You're here only a few days and you're already frightened. I have to admit this place is scary, especially at night. It's not the place, and it's not the people, says Vasya, shaking a finger at me. It's the system, Luke. The communist system turns humans into animals in a zoo. We need a revolution here. Another one? Chapter 24 Finally, we get to Vasya's home. After greetings and introductions to Marina, Vasya's wife, we find ourselves around the kitchen table practicing the national pastime. Marina asks us to keep our voices down because their son is asleep in the next room. A friend of mine, says Vasya, taking another drink of vodka, makes a dish with two big melons at the center. You know what the dish is called? Reagan's balls. I see you have an underground Reagan cult here. We love his balls. He has big balls. When he was in Berlin and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, I was laughing so hard. The fucking Russian communists didn't know how to answer him. They were scared. <laughs> I loved him so much. For us, Reagan was a good guy. He demanded they tear down the barbed wire that separated liberty from slavery. Oh God, will I ever see that day? When I finally saw him in a Hollywood film, I was confused. Was he acting about the Berlin Wall too? No. I think at that moment he meant it. Relieved, Vasya stares into my eyes. I thought so. We can't lose our hope in America, you know. It'll be the end. I looked at all the empty vodka bottles in disbelief. You people are crazy. Drink, Luke. Drink. You think too much. Tell us, are you married? Do you have a girlfriend? Tell us about your exciting international love life. What love life? I'm so far away from all that now. Luke, screw the politics, says Vasya. We can't change anything anyway. We do a few things here and there just to make us feel good about ourselves. Here, take a look at this. Vasya hands me a yellow piece of newspaper from some publication. This is the chronicle of current events, our only Samizdat periodical in the history of the USSR, the only true source of information. The rest of Soviet news publications all have been fake news. This periodical has been around for 15 years. It has covered all political trials, but not one of the accused has ever been acquitted. We had to close it down in 1983. KGB got on our trail and confiscated the last issue. You're too loud again, Vasya, says Marina. Why don't you put on the Machina Vremni and make it a bit loud? Vasya turns to me. It's my favorite local rock band. 
You'll like it, I'm sure. Listen, Vasya, I say to change the subject. If I was going to come to your house, then why'd you crawl underneath the table at the party with the list? You could have given it to me here. Is that what Vasya did, asked Marina? He crawled under the table and passed you the list of the political prisoners? Yes. Suddenly, Marina burst into irrepressible laughter, an awkward, very loud, misplaced-type laughter. Nevertheless, Vasya and I hop on her sudden joyride and start laughing as well. We never thought you'd dare come to my place. Why not, I ask, still laughing. What are they going to do to me? Marina's laughter swiftly turns into uncontrollable crying. With a worried look, Vasya takes her hand and watches her silently. I'm afraid, says Marina, still crying. Just afraid. I'm sorry. Vasya shakes his head silently, picks up the telephone receiver, unscrews the plastic cap, and pulls out a tiny listening device. Mashka. Nothing to worry about anymore. Look, I dismantled it. No one can hear us. Wait a minute, I say. Were they listening to you? Oh, man, don't be so naive. They can do anything they want to you. You think there are no foreigners who have disappeared here? You have to be careful. You have to keep an eye out all the time. Even on those old babushkas who work for the KGB? Yes, the ones who sting step-to-step Krugom. Even they can make you disappear. Is that why you all drink so much? No, because the stock market is fluctuating. We all break into laughter again. I don't know whether it was because I was getting scared as well or whether this goddamn Russian Samagon that Vasya had been pouring into me had eradicated any remaining molecules of resistance. What can you expect from a drink made out of potatoes that is 60% of alcohol? Mashka, stop the music and turn the TV on. I don't want the neighbors hearing us having fun. Marina switches on the Vremia news program, with the announcers declaring the latest achievements in Soviet agriculture and metallurgy. More lies, I ask? Yes. It doesn't matter, my friend. In a few years' time, we're going to have communism here, with no borders. No one needs to work. Everyone will be happy. You can come and visit us any time, except when we're traveling. Fazia looks at his wife playfully. Where do you want to go on vacation, Marina? After the World Revolution? International communism will rule over the planet Earth, and I can take you wherever you want to. Paris? No problem. Vasya points proudly at a framed portrait on the wall above the fridge between the kitchen cabinets, which I discover is none other than Thomas Jefferson. Speaking about Paris, don't you recognize your own ambassador to France? I look at the name on the bottom and read it aloud. I stand up and look closer at the portrait of Jefferson. It says, Eric von Stonmeyer. Why? So when the KGB comes for their normal obisque, I can tell them he's an 18th century German Baroque composer. Baroque composer? That's smart. See how I learned to lie? I better learn to lie too and fast, right? No, says Vasya. Please, not you. Chapter 25 Suddenly, Vasya grabs my hand and looks straight into my eyes. Thank you for standing up for me. It has never happened before. I don't know how to respond to him, so I say nothing. Vasya continues as if I don't understand what he's saying. No one has ever stood up for me against the authorities. You know, everyone is scared, including me. I understand. They treat you like a dog for so long that you become a dog. 
You're a great man, Vasya. I admire you. Thank you for giving me back my dignity. Now I'm not afraid anymore. You think they will leave you alone now? Never. But now I'm not frightened anymore. Can I give you another hug? Sure. Marina, my wife, also wants to give you a kiss. I told her what happened. My son, too. Suddenly, the entire family is in the room. Vasya's son, Andre, strolls in wearing pajamas. A little old lady in a pink robe is right behind the boy. Vasya directs Andre to give me a kiss. The boy does as instructed. Grandma, too, he says. The old lady gently kisses my forehead and makes a little speech in Russian, which Vasya translates simultaneously as she speaks. Comrade American, this communist occupation is temporary. We will gain our freedom back, sooner or later. Grandma punctuates the end of her speech with another kiss in my forehead. She's the optimist in the family, explains Vasya. She fought in the Great Patriotic War, maybe that's why. But then Comrade Stalin sent her to the Gulag camp in Siberia just because she was a POW for two months. Turning to Andre, Vasya says, Hey family, it's time to really go to bed now. He whispers to me, Let's put Andrusha to sleep together. What they call the bedroom is a tiny space not much larger than a closet, barely habitable for one child. Andre's tiny bed, a turntable, and a miniature table lamp fill the space to capacity. Vasya covers Andre with a blanket, tucks him in, and kisses him on both cheeks. Luke, I think they've injected me with massive amounts of haloperidol, says Vasya softly, a note of alarm in his voice. You know about haloperidol, the medication? No. Last time they put me in Sihushka instead of jail. The doctor injected me with haloperidol. I don't remember how many times. He said it's harmless, that it just controls your mood shifts. But Anatoly's a scientist. You know the guy on the past train at the birthday party? He told me the side effects are Parkinson's. Maybe that's why my hands have started shaking. What do you think? Those people are animals. Do you know that Andropov thought Solzhenitsyn's exile was successful because he went to the West and shut the fuck up? Were you disappointed? Of course I was. I wanted Solzhenitsyn to get out there and mobilize everyone to help us out. More than 80% of our young people are listening to BBC and Voice of America. More of you should come here and publish articles about the brutality of the Soviet regime. Nixon gave Romania most favorite nation status. Why? He did? Politics. Real politics. It's the worst kind. But do you know how lucky I feel now? Having you sitting here on the floor of my apartment and giving a damn? Can I share some reading material with you? Of course. He reaches under Andre's bed and pulls out a well-worn book from underneath. He hands it to me. Its cover has been repaired so many times the title is unidentifiable from the outside. It's The Power of the Powerless by Václav Havel. Ever read it? No. Take it. Thank you. Can I just very quickly read you a quote from something else? It's by the great Czech writer Joseph Skoretsky from his book The Miracle Game. There are two kinds of Christians, open ones and secret ones. The open ones let themselves be thrown to the wild animals. The secret ones made their sacrifices to the Roman gods during the day, and at night they went to communion. The ones who were devoured became saints. The secret ones survived and spread the teachings of Christ. Which ones do you think we are here? The open ones or the secret ones? 
Stay secret. I don't want anything to happen to you. All of a sudden, Vasya's face saddens. I'm wondering about that. Maybe we need the open ones more so people can wake up, no? What do you think? You gave me the list, and I have to make it out of this crazy hellhole and get the names published, right? Promise you're going to stay alive. Okay. I promise. We hugged. Good night. Spokoine nochi. I'm walking out of Andre's bedroom when Vasya stops me again. Hey, Luke, take this cassette and listen to it when you get back to the USA. What's this? It's Machina Vremeni. Time Machine in Translation. Our best rock band here. One I told you about. Oh, okay. We have great rock and roll here, you'll see. I believe you, Vasya. Chapter 26 As I lie in Vasya's armchair bed in Leningrad, all I can think about is her. This so-called armchair bed is so narrow that I can only fit in it by lying flat on my back without my arms at my sides. There's no room for my arms, so I cross them over my chest. It's the closest thing to lying down in a coffin that I've ever experienced. After that day, chock full of KGB, of lies, of fear and manipulation, of rampant unhappiness, of corruption and horrendous vodka, I'm drained completely searching for a little ray of beauty inside me, something that remains untouchable and pristine. It was her, my mystery woman, my love. Yes, I had fallen in love with that magnificent creature. Where was she now? I transport myself 5,000 miles back to our first encounter. I see her again and I am comforted. After that one time, I went back to the hole over and over to find her. I drank uncountable holy grails on every occasion. She never showed up. I asked around. No one knew her. No one ever saw her again. Now, during my USSR assignment, she was chasing away the darkness in my brain. Every time I closed my eyes, she would shine her light upon me. I would go back to that magnificent night in the Stardust Hotel. We kept kissing each other all night long. My lips were going numb, though she had no intention of stopping. She would just slow down and lick my lips until they'd come back to life. Her lips were full and powerful and they meant business. She was carving passion out of my momentary hesitancy. She would nourish my lips until they were back in full force and then let me taste her mouth as long as I pleased. Just as I was thinking that we were about finished, she would take me to a higher mountain to climb, one that I never knew existed. When my tongue met her tongue, we froze in ecstasy for a moment. It was a meeting of two wild bees in a flower field. Our mouths were buzzing from the joy of it. Our lips were trembling, singing sounds that I never heard before. While our tongues were glued together and our fates were being sealed inside our mouths, she grabbed my head and moved it backwards. Then she closed my eyes with her moist palm and urged her nipple inside my mouth slowly, teasing my lips and my tongue, giving in to my mouth playfully. Oh my God, was this a dream? Did this woman really exist? She gave all of herself to me, all at once. She didn't hold anything back. 
This was not simply sex. This felt like something sacred, something divine, something unspoken and unstoppable, like a great ocean wave breaking against an endless beach. I'm a man of short sentences, a few clipped words here and there as needed. Laconic is the adjective I would use to describe myself. But during our lovemaking, I couldn't shut my inner mouth. Unspeakable words were spilling out of my boiling mind. I was afraid that this inner voice would somehow burst out of my mind and so that she could hear the madness that I was verbalizing inside. The very thought of that guilelessness was paralyzing. Like a skydiver plummeting to earth on his first jump, I was free-falling in love. I could hardly breathe. She gently pulled her nipple out of my mouth and I slowly opened my eyes. Her bewildered look revealed her own inner tsunami. She lay down next to me. Then she gently put my hands on her lips and burst into a full-hearted cry. I could tell she was shocked at the feelings that were bouncing around inside her heart. I started to listen closely to her crying. I didn't know that people could talk, even tell stories through their cries. Gradually, her crying expressed real thoughts for me. I understood her entire story, a sad one with many chapters of wrong choices and missed opportunities. It was a cry for love. Her crying was also our story. She was saying that we were meant for one another. We were manufactured with precision to fit perfectly together. She stopped crying, and in that silence, we could hear each other's inner voices. There were no human words, just the buzzing of happy bees. I started kissing her again the way she had taught me to kiss her. This time, I was the one taking her for a climb. Her eyes were full of fear and excitement. Her lips were dehydrated. Her breath got shorter and a little raspy. My mouth went to work comforting her, moistening her, getting her to relax her breathing till she fell asleep next to me. Her face was peaceful, a childlike smile hidden beneath her sensual lips. I whispered so softly she couldn't hear me. I'm so glad you can't hear me, because I can't explain any of my feelings. If you want, we can go to the park tomorrow to play and try to make sense out of all of this. But for now, I love you. Yes, I'm in love with you even though I don't know who you are. It is all so exciting and so daunting. Sleep well, my love. I will cook eggs for you tomorrow morning for breakfast. My name is Luke. Don't forget me. I'll never forget you. I too fell asleep. <laughs>